Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Adrian Medhurst, longtime friend, colleague, contributor at the recent Pafau Sydney conference. And it was the last one we did in person and probably the last one we do for quite a while. Adrian, how are you doing there in Melbourne, Australia? I'm doing well, bunkering down with the family and got the work-life juggling act in full swing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are you in a shelter in place, stay at home order there as well? Well, similar. We've certainly got social distancing or physical distancing and we're instructed not to be getting out into public gatherings or anything like that. But there's still some basic and essential services that we can go and access ourselves rather than being fully restricted. And we will wait and see what the next stage looks like. Well, you and I have known each other for you know, 10 plus years now. Actually, I think plus years, more like a dozen years. And mm -hmm. we've become friends over that time. And you've been a confidant of mine, someone who's advised me and helped in my personal development around mindfulness and, and, and leadership. So one of the themes that I'd like our audience to get from you today is just a sense of given where we are and the anxiety that pervades society around the world and we're working from home. You know, we've had this really fast-paced life and all of a sudden, er, you know, we screeched not to a halt necessarily because we're still working, but it's very, very different. So, you know, based on, you know, where you sit and, and what's happening in your world, and you obviously work with people around the world, what comes to mind for you? You know, what are some you know, themes or pieces of advice that you'd just like to offer up? Leadership and well-being, two words. and smashing them right together is incredibly important. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to dive into this, hopefully with, with a fair bit of depth, but leadership on all levels is going to be incredibly important. How we lead through really strong self-management. <laughs> so leading mm -hmm. ourselves into the best state that we can be in to look after ourselves and look after those around us that are important to us, but also the more traditional view of leadership. What does it mean for us now to lead our people? And the reason why, and this is going to bridge the conversation into well-being, with so much uncertainty and the fact that even ahead of COVID-19, things were pretty hectic anyway. <laughs> right, and yeah, so they were. People, people have been pushing hard. The, the stresses and challenges have been great. That hasn't gone away. It's just been changed into a very, very different morphed reality that we're trying to grasp how to deal with. And so whilst there are clear physical health issues across the globe, there are going to be ongoing psychological mental health challenges and issues on a large scale and getting on the front foot to be proactive and to establish through strong leadership, how do we focus on well-being when it is so essential right now? That, is, that needs to be a really core focus. For organizational leaders, when we're thinking about business continuity, if human well-being for your employees, those that you can retain, understanding the issues there, and for those transitioning, what is our responsibility? What is our moral responsibility? What also is our organizational and leadership responsibility? And also, what's the opportunity to do the best that we can to set people up to look after their own well-being as best they can and to support them in being at their best? When we do that, it's going to be the resource, the capacity, the, the energy, the headspace that needs to be drawn on for people to continue to be as 
productive as they can be in this changing environment. So if I can translate, and, and this is my own narrative that I'm putting over it, is we have a great opportunity, given everything that's happening, to build better habits, to be more attentive to ourselves as well as to others. It also really slams me in the face that as a leader, you have 10, 20 people who mix up direct reports and peers and people you report up to and customers. So you have all these people to go into each and every meeting and allocate times. How are you doing? Now your whole day might be, <laughs> you know, just you know, going out and taking care of people. So you know, if I might just offer that challenge up front, you know, given that real dynamic, whether be in person eventually again, or, you know, online, how can we show that we care and that we're empathetic and we want to empower while also getting work done? Yeah. And I think we've got to look at how we can on all levels be really honest. And in fact, ask the question, how are we going and and be genuine about gauging for people and, and within a collective, how things are going. And, and that's a combination of how we're feeling and how we're functioning. So well-being and performance coming together there is important and perhaps even nowadays more of an emphasis on the well-being piece. But that's just a, a kickoff to the conversation as well because in really practical terms, we want to be genuine in understanding how people are going. We also want to be genuine in offering as leaders the support that we can based on what's going on right now. And there's a really basic way that we can do this through a couple of key questions as well. And that is to say, what are in the view of the individuals and across the team, what are the priorities right now? What are we focusing on? Some things might be more certain than others, but having that conversation. So what are our current priorities? And then, and this is where leadership kicks into its all an important gear. What support can I offer? Mm-hmm. So to sort of summarize that, because it is actually behind my verbosity, it is actually quite simple. How are we going? What are the priorities? How can I support you? In that latter question, the individual is thinking about what actions do I need to take based on the priorities that I have and how I'm feeling and functioning right now? What actions am I clear that I need to take? And in that, what support can I get access to? Can I request? Can I reach out for from my colleagues and team members as well as from my leader? And how do we best support each other with that being a collective conversation? So implicit in that is a heightened level of self-awareness. So you can actually know how you're feeling and know your priorities and actually ask for help appropriately. Any coaching tips on how to create the space to understand where you are and what you might need? Yeah. And I think it's it's really good that you brought that up. And even at the start of the conversation, you spoke about establishing some habits that are going to be helpful. Unfortunately, for most people, it hasn't been routine for us to actually, within the churn and busyness and pace of work and life, to just stop and actually have a moment for self-reflection where we gauge and and really work to open up our self-awareness. How am I feeling right now? What feels right? What feels like it's a bit off? And and to to open up to that. So making the time, scheduling that in, and, and the question may be one or a series of questions that just get the individual to tap into, how am I feeling right now? How can I actually open my mind up to that? How can I see what comes to mind 
more mentally, but also what, what is the feeling tone? How am I feeling about what's coming up when I actually take the time to stop? So what I've recommended to organizations for a long time is that that check-in happens regularly. And now I actually think it needs to happen even more regularly, to be honest. It doesn't need to take a long time. It doesn't need to feel like we're adding so much more to our to-do list, but to check in with yourself regularly and to use what you surface as, I guess, the insight or stimulus, the the template um, in practical terms that you take into a conversation with someone else that could support you in in working with whatever has come up. And what does that ideally look like. And let me give you an example. I have a coach and he is, he coaches at Google and the Haas School of Business and known him for many years. He knows me really well. And so I check in with him about once a week and it is very basic. How are you doing? What do you got going next week? And you know, what are you feeling? You know, do you have any anxieties? Do you have any hopes here? And it's very basic. We have half hour, 40 minutes because we've known each other so long. It's usually you know, lively exchange. But afterwards, I feel more aware of where I am, what I'm doing, how I'm feeling. And he might not even said that much, but he was there to listen. And sometimes he calls BS. Sometimes he'll offer an idea or two. So going back to my initial question, is is that what you're referring to as a, as a check-in? And that person is, knows me really well. I call him a friend now because I've known him for so long. Oftentimes, we don't have somebody like that in our lives. So, you know, what does a check-in look like and who yeah. else should we involve in that? Cool. So, awesome questions. And so, you're right in the fact that for many people, they'll need to do something to open their self-awareness to where they're at so they can take that into. So, check in on self and then check in with others. So, whether it's a formal coach or an informal buddy system that you can set up with someone that you trust to actually take your self-reflection into a conversation with others is, in, is incredibly valuable. There are tools that we can use to support this. And I think finding a rhythm that works for you and then finding a tool that can work. And by tools, I mean, there are digital tools that can help with this. And for anyone interested, I can talk more about that later. But it can also be we're going to need a hybrid of analog and digital in these days, but a person can just be writing some notes down with a paper and pen, but it's important to just find the space to to actually record where you're at, whether it's a diary, whether it's a little tracker of some sort, and to bring that into a conversation with someone else. What I want to say just quickly as well is in the analytics that we look at in terms of well-being and performance across working people, In the area of connection, connectedness, relationships, and social support, what we often see as a bit of a pattern is that people are fortunate enough to have good quality relationships where there's a a clearly identifiable challenge is in reaching out for support when you need it most. What we tend to see is people are responding in ways where they grit their teeth, retreat to their cave, persevere, and try and push on without actually being open, reaching out, and, and potentially the, the vulnerability or, or fear that might be associated with that. And so mm-hmm. what I encourage right now is if that's the pattern, now more than ever, we really need to find ways to reach out. And if we know that other people in our network, in our teams, in our, in our communities might have that pattern, how can we be on the front foot checking in on them? 
Right. It comes to mind as you share that, that when we go through a check-in, either a self-check-in, maybe through meditation or a buddy check-in or or coach check-in, yes, we get a heightened level of self-awareness and also how we're connected to others or not connected to others. What I'm getting at is many people are now holding on to a lot of anxiety because they're looking at data in the marketplace. They're seeing the you know, cases in their area go up by the day. They're seeing other data that shows that the economy's going in a, I don't want to say some downturn, just to what extent, who knows? How is it going to affect their industry, their job, all this? So we're getting all this data that implies that the world's coming down, but we're not oftentimes looking at what's right and what we can leverage to empower ourselves and others to get to a better place. So my pointed question, you know, again to you is, do you have any suggestions on what information we should be seeking, whether it be about ourselves or the broader economy or society? And, and what should we effectively scale back so we don't get inundated by all this stuff and get distracted away from what's actually positive in our lives at that point? Great context and a really important and really huge question. What I want to suggest is not necessarily everything at all, but I want to talk about the fact that at this time, because of information overload, and I mean, again, we have been in the attention economy experiencing information overload before this. And so our mental capacities to cope with the deluge of information has already been strained. And now we find ourselves in a situation where our head spaces are in a state of flux. I'm playing around with this sort of trajectory. Flux is is really this the situation that we're in right now. Flux is a period of uncertainty before a clear direction emerges. And so mm. we need to acknowledge that we're in a state of flux. What can tend to happen with uncertainty is that there's a lot of anxiety and apprehension. So we move from flux to, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry if you excuse my <laughs> swearing. But, um, All good. All good. We need to, the point is that we need to actually acknowledge that there's going to be an emotional reaction and response to this and that some of that might be quite negative or counterproductive or, or toxic or just difficult and uncomfortable. But we need to be honest that there's there's mm-hmm. going to be some emotional reactivity to this and then to sort of continue with the alliteration from flux to oh flux to <laughs> crux and what a crux right. is uh, the crux is what is the the challenge of the moment what is the thing to focus on what is the most difficult part that needs to be attended to right now. And myself, like we use the word crux in rock climbing Mm because in rock climbing, as you're looking at a route, you're looking at how to go from the ground to the top of the cliff as an example. The crux is the hardest part on that route. And you can map out in your mind the different ways in which you'd like to navigate that route and the different challenges that you'll face along the way. But you can figure out and identify what the crux is, what's the hardest bit that I need to be really prepared for so that Mm -hmm. I can tackle that along my path towards my peak. And so I guess 
in this idea of the crux, this is something that we can bring a level of focus to when we can identify that the path forward is going to be really challenging. We're trying to figure out how to get to the top and there's a lot of uncertainty, but we need to figure out for ourselves what's the crux that we can identify along our path. How do I understand that as best I can and prepare myself physically and mentally and socially for attending to that crux? And I guess the reason why I point that out is because it can help us as a bit of a working model move from the overwhelm of flux and uncertainty to some recognition that we're going to be experiencing emotional reactivity and, and, and tension in this state of flux. So not trying to get rid of that fight against it, control it, fix it prematurely, but to say, okay, I welcome the emotional reactivity right now, but where I need to focus my attention is on the crux. What's the next right thing that I need to be focused on, the challenge of the moment? And so to come back to your sort of reference to mindfulness, we need to find mindful practices that help us to realize the steps that we have access to right now. So mindfulness is a state that helps us to be connected in the present moment and focusing on what we choose to focus on and noticing if we get distracted and bring ourselves back. So that skill of mindfulness is incredibly important. But cultivating the skill and state of mindfulness, the, the question is then to what end? So we use this state of present moment focus on the object of our attention that we choose and we bring an open mind and a clarity of thinking and action to the thing that matters most right now. With that, we're all working from home right now, most of people in the world. And we have dogs barking, kids crawling on us. Yeah, we have partners who are trying to do the same thing probably and work. And so how would you advocate, how are you creating the space to actually be mindful? Because it's if we're getting calls and emails and doing what we need to do, it's like, okay, mindfulness, creating that space oftentimes is perceived as procrastination, as time not well spent. So again, what are some points of view or ideas that you have on how to create that space so we can actually be aware of where we are and what that next best step is, where that crux Mm. is? I am going to start off by saying that I think people will need to experiment. They'll need to think about different times of day, the different environments that they can use to spend a few moments practicing some form of mindfulness, some technique that they may have been exposed to that they thought, okay, yeah, that kind of clicked for me and it felt kind of right. Okay. If that has fallen off your rhythm, off your routine, to reignite that I think is really important and to figure out in this changed work-life routine, where might you be able to do that? I'm going to share something that I hope doesn't provide a visual that people don't really want to think about right now. But for me, being a father with two young kids in a household where work and parenting and the juggling act is happening, being on the toilet is my easiest opportunity (laughs) to practice being (laughs) mindful. <laughs> now, I'm just being room. honest. I could, have said, I could have said shower, and right, we yeah. know that <laughs> the shower meditation is one that many people do. And I do have my version of that that I'll speak about in a moment as well. But honestly, taking a moment on the toilet is a, is a great yeah. opportunity to just be 
<laughs> so, so I'll, I'll I'll let that land first, and then we continue <laughs> on. Pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it, it's if you're in a small household and we have limited space, it, it's a reality where you know whether it be a walk or you know again respecting social distancing where we're at you know in in large part of the world right now actually creating that space as opposed to hoping it materializes i, I find to be challenging for some it's challenging for me and mm. i consider myself a mindful practitioner but i'm you know, i i can draw a very clear correlation between my peace and state of mind and productivity with where I am with my headspace. If mm. I have, if I've meditated and grounded myself, and I am very intentional and focused, then I'm I'm good. If I get into the muck too quick and I, I haven't cleared my headspace, then then it's tough. And I don't think I'm alone, you know, in saying that. But the good news is, at my age, I can be aware of that. I can then say, okay, I just need to go for a walk. I need to get some air. I need to, and that you know helps refocus. But not many. I think too few people, particularly now, are aware and create that space once they, you know, become aware. And you know, one thing that I, I want you to comment on as you comment to what I just said is many view mindfulness, meditation as a right and wrong. Like mm. it's it's like, oh, there's that technique. There's that. Can, can you speak to that as well? Because you know, correct me if I'm wrong. We, you and I have talked about this before. It's just Go do it. Like you said, find what works yeah. for you, you know, and, yeah. and practice and, and you know, enjoy the experience as opposed to fight it. Can, can you talk, comment on that? Yeah. And I, I'm certainly not alone in encouraging people to go and explore different types of mindfulness exercises or practices and seeing which ones feel like they could fit. Now, lots of people, particularly if they're new to this, there can be a level of resistance and even there's resistance because it can feel uncomfortable. We can feel like we're not very good at it. We might assume that there's a certain amount of time that we should do it for. And if we don't do it for that amount of time, then it's not going to do what it should do. This sort of right and wrong idea that you were just talking about. And Dan Harris and the 10% Happier podcast and their app, there's really practical content information there that everyone should go and take a look at, particularly because they've got new information on COVID-19 and so forth. So great resource. But what he and others speak about in this space, I think is incredibly important. And it's that if we can only find a certain number of moments to practice mindfulness, then to actually acknowledge that that was good and that we did that. We noticed the opportunity and we did it and we don't beat ourselves up over unmet expectations about it should have been longer and you know what you didn't do. Instead, if we stitch together some moments of mindfulness practice throughout our day across our week, then that's fantastic practice and progress. The idea of having a good meditation can be sort of just let go of right now. There, there really isn't such thing. It is a practice. It's not something we do perfectly. The whole point of practice is that each time we might be even using the same technique, but our practice is different every time. We are different in the moments as we arrive and in how we actually concentrate and contemplate and cultivate qualities within our practice over time. So there's that that I want to offer. But what I want to sort of speak to a little bit here as well is that, and we've sort of been talking about this, people's headspace can be a bit all over the place. The monkey mind is what's often spoken about in, in different mindfulness and meditative traditions where our 
thought processes are bouncing all over the place. Now, that is on full tilt right now for many people. The mind is incredibly busy. And from an evolutionary perspective, we've got circuitry for our stress responses that activate us. So we've got this heightened arousal and what can come along with this are a lot of emotions, including fear, worry, and anxiety. And so that's a bit of a perfect storm that's going on as well. And so these coming together can make it really challenging for people, even if they do find a moment and make a moment to practice being mindful, mm-hmm. what they might notice in terms of their state is something that feels very confronting and uncomfortable. And so a lot of our, a lot of our systems that want to keep us safe will recognize that I stopped to practice mindfulness and all of a sudden I am overwhelmed by stuff that feels uncomfortable. Our brain wants to protect us from that. So it'll say, hmm. that was a shit idea. Let's stop this <laughs> mindfulness practice and do something else. Like go and distract myself with cute cat videos on YouTube or a beer or whatever that coping mechanism might be. Now, this is where the rubber's really going to hit the road. If we recognize that the state of mind that we're in needs to be allowed and, and that with an acceptance that we're in a state of turbulence and we might come right up against that in our headspace to just give ourselves some space to be, even if it's challenging, because that's being honest with ourselves about what's present right here, right now. That being said, that can still feel very challenging for people. And the reason why I mentioned this, and I hope I'm not going on for too long before giving you an opportunity to step in, but there's a technique that I use that helps people to stay connected to a mindfulness practice in the present moment in a very simple way, but moment by moment, we're able to use our body very simply and by using the mechanics of our hands, we can stay more connected to our present moment experience and how it unfolds moment by moment, as opposed to getting as swept up in our psychological stuff, our headspace and our emotions. The way we do that is to breathe in a particular way at a rhythm that brings evenness. So an even inhale and an even exhale. What this does for our nervous system is that it starts to calibrate the activation and relaxation responses in our nervous system or the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. So our inhale breath is actually an activation. It, it, our inhale activates and arouses our energy. And for lots of people feeling, feeling stressed, they can have a lot of these short, sharp inhale breaths without proper exhalation that allows the parasympathetic nervous system to down-regulate arousal and a stress response. So if we actually deliberately breathe evenly over a period of time, we can start to counteract what might be a heightened state of stress arousal and bring back into calibration and a sense of both energy and ease. And that can be incredibly important. No, I started still, doing it as you were talking. I know I'm still talking. Well, here's, here's something to try. As, I, as I'm instructing it, Al, here's something to try. And for, for listeners, they can try this as well. But to breathe evenly and to actually give ourselves the task with our hand, our right hand will be for our inhale breath and our left hand will be for our exhale breath. So we'll actually need to focus our attention on using our hands 
to do something moment by moment. Now, what that does is it actually turns up the volume on our present moment physical experience, which has the byproduct of crowding out any room for the thoughts and emotions to actually need to occupy our attention so much right now. Now, we're not getting rid of it. It's going to be there. We, we in fact, want to be clear that the message isn't get rid of that stuff. It's just to say, for, for right now, let's prioritize our attention on the task at hand. And we're choosing for that to be with our hands and our breath. And so the inhale breath, we tap our thumb to our index, middle, ring, pinky, open the palm for space at the top of the inhale. Then our left hand is for our exhale breath. And we tap one, two, three, four, space at the bottom of the exhale. Now, nice. what that physical action does is it gives, them some, gives someone something to focus on moment by moment. The rhythm that we create by breathing evenly with our right hand and left hand, inhale right hand, exhale left hand, tapping our thumb to each of our fingers, that brings about over time the calibration with our nervous system. And then what we can recite in our heads to give ourselves something sort of mental, something psychological to focus on, a thought process to focus on, it can either be counting one, two, three, four, five, if people like a breath counting, but we can also just tune into the physical sensation of our thumb tapping our fingers. One that I've been personally trying on a lot right now is a compassion-centered practice, and it's to use my inhale for me where I say, tapping each of my fingers with my thumb, may I be at ease. And then with my left hand, I'm sending that intention out to everyone else. May we be at ease. And the reason why I'm doing that is I'm noticing that there is a hyperactivation of the arousal and stress system. And I'm using this intention to start bringing back into harmony the ease side of this equation. So I'm going to love hit pause. <laughs> love it, love it. No, it's it's fantastic because you know, meaning having tools, having ideas that you can actually go and try. You know, like we said before, you know, whether it be that or something that resonates with the individual, what resonates with you. Great, you know, you know, go do it. You know, as we start to wrap up, I want to you know bring us to this notion, and I got to applaud Josh Person who wrote an article the other day called The Big Reset. And he talks about resets in you know, HR and society and leadership and, and so forth. But I'm taking from our conversation here that we have, as individuals, a huge opportunity to reset how we show up in the world, whether it be at work or in our personal lives. Many have said over the past couple of weeks since the shelter in place came into effect here in California, although it's been a little over a week, it feels longer, but they've had time to really slow down and connect you know, with family. So what do you have to say about this notion of resetting you know, ourselves and potentially coming out of this with a heightened level of self-awareness, a heightened level of connectivity and empathy? I mean, what are your thoughts there? I think reset is a, and Josh has written great, great work on that. And if we were to continue with another R word, I think reset and recharge as best we mm. can or restore. So what are the things mm. that we might need to restore? Another R word, reestablish. Like, I don't know, but yeah. there's just things that we, some fundamentals that we can turn our attention to and 
different people will have different personal needs based on their situation, but I don't want to sort of state the bleeding obvious about important well-being routines that might fall off the radar right now, but doing the best that we can, the things that work for us or learning new things should we need to, to find opportunities to, to rest, to mm-hmm. recharge. Our immune system is going to be compromised if we don't. So there's a, a more stick-based motivation to do it. The carrot-based <laughs> motivation is that when we get better rest, we're going to think more clearly. We're going to have sort of replenished energies that we need to exercise some willpower to make good decisions and, and, and take good actions. So rest is really important. Relationships, other people matter, and we are all other people. So connecting to others, staying connected, reaching out for support, really important. Mindfulness and stress that we've spoken about. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Nutrition. Nutrition is going to be really powerful. There might be food challenges for people out there getting what it is that they need, but doing your best to eat well and nourish your body, nourish your mind. So those are some some fundamentals. Physical exercise, and that includes mobility and stability, flexibility, mm-hmm. not just activity, sort of step count, and and loading up your muscles. I mean, now's a, now's a good time if you can't actually get outside and do the runs that you used to get into some resistance training. What we find is that that's often something that's fallen off the radar for people. So putting your body in a, in a bit of healthy load, loading up the muscles and, and, and so forth, that can be quite easy in, in even very small spaces. But the thing that I want to sort of finalize when it comes to stress is to give people a, just a really quick mindset upgrade to entertain. So three important components of our stress mindset that we can almost see as characters around our stress experience that we can take forward in a more sort of proactive and and positive way. Stress is actually a messenger. It's a messenger because it's telling us that there's something important that we need to attend to. We've been activated. Stress is an activation response. And so we've got this messenger telling us there's something important that we need to attend to. And the activator is activating us, fueling us in body and mind to engage with a perceived present moment challenge. So using that energy wisely, actually seeing that activation response as something useful to harness and capitalize on and use to the best of your ability. The final piece is stress is a developer. We do learn and grow through periods of stress. Now, I don't want to trivialize the fact that stress can be really uncomfortable and some stress that's distressing and traumatic. We want to reduce and handle and manage that as best we can. But if we can also bring to our current situation a view that stress is a messenger, I don't need to shoot the messenger, I don't need to see all of it as unilaterally bad, but it's a messenger telling me there's something important I need to focus on. I get activated. It's an activator. In body and mind, I'm fueled to engage with the crux. What's the present moment challenge that I need to focus on? And developer, to hold in your mindset that we can and will be growing through this in some form. How do we shape what that growth looks like? I love it. And so what I'm hearing is as opposed to dreading stress and avoiding it at all costs, just being attentive to it and embracing it you know, for, for what it is, that it's trying to help you, right? Yeah, that's it. Well, Dr. Medhurst, always a pleasure. I really appreciate you being so responsive to me. We had talked about doing something in the wake of the event, the conference there in Sydney. I didn't imagine it would be 
to this extent, given what's transpired in the world over the you know, three weeks that's transpired. But yeah, your insights and ideas are always greatly, greatly appreciated. And all my, all my best to you and your family you know, during this time. And back to you and to, to all the listeners, my heart goes out and let's, let's look after ourselves and each other as best we can. I hear Ayla in the background. <laughs> All right, just, she's just using her way to say, wrap it up, daddy. <laughs> wrap it up. My turn. My turn. <laughs> Before you, I give you a stress response. <laughs> All Thanks, right. But thank you again. Cheers. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.